This week on Basic, Jada De Laurentiis. It's hard to understand now because I feel like we're all talking to our phones and we're taking pictures of ourselves. And I think that for me, it was trying to figure out like, who is this person? And have I created an image of somebody that doesn't really exist? And sometimes, honestly, I still think that to myself. I was shy. I definitely came out of my shell and almost became a different person in a way. It's like therapy. I, I don't know. It's it's very strange. My own family's like, we don't, you're not the same person. Like my sister's like, you're not the same person I grew up with. It's like, it's like you're a totally different human being. I said, yeah, I think that, I don't know. It's like, it's a very strange process, uh, television. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Basic, the official podcast of the unofficial history of cable television. I'm Doug Herzog, a former TV executive. And while I can't cook, I love to eat. And I'm Jen Cheney, TV critic for Vulture and New York Magazine. And I can eat Doug Herzog under the table. <laughs> we'll see about that. Over the last 25 years, cooking and food shows have become a huge part of Basic Cable's programming. And today's guest has become one of its most recognizable personalities. That's absolutely right. Jada De Laurentiis had her first Food Network show, Everyday Italian, premiere in 2003, and she's been a major presence on the network ever since, building a food-inspired empire along the way, including her most recent addition to the Food Network, Simply Giada. Are you a uh, you a fan of cooking shows, Jen? I do. I, I like to watch cooking shows. Uh, I especially like the competition shows because I'm uh, inherently a competitive person. But yes, I do like to watch them. I like to watch, but I, like I said, I mostly like to eat. Uh, stay tuned for our conversation with Giada and hang around afterwards where Jen and I discuss what we learned, perhaps over a post-show espresso. All right, Giada De Laurentiis, we are so excited to have you on BASIC. Welcome to the program. And we're going to start with a question that we ask of all of our guests, which is, do you remember when you first got BASIC Cable or were exposed to BASIC Cable? Well, thanks. Thanks for having me, first of all. Yes. Um, but, but, okay, let's jump into it. <laughs> I really don't. Isn't that weird? I am 52 years old, and I will tell you that I don't remember life before MTV. I just don't. Do you it remember where you were? Like... <laughs> yeah, you... it was just, I mean, clearly it wasn't. But remember, my family is from, a, they made movies for a living, right? So... I lived more in the movies than I did on TV. And I know this is might be strange for some of your listeners, but you guys will understand TV just did not have the cachet it has today. It was not right. cool to be on TV. It was cool to be a movie star in movies, but not on TV. And so because my family was in the movie business, we really focused all our attention on that. Even as little kids, all our birthday, everything was about movies. It's like TV didn't exist really until I was like, Mm, I don't know. How old was I when MTV started? Maybe I was 11. Mm -hmm. About right. About right. That's when TV blew my mind. And of course, music videos. And I don't know. I think Martha Quinn and uh, Mark Goodwin were sort of like my, my, I just loved them. I just, <laughs> I thought I want to do that when I grow up. That is so cool. So they were, they were super iconic. And uh, Alan Hunter, who was one of the original, uh, VJs oh, yes. is, is going to be joining us, joining us soon. So wait, so, so, so let's go back. You were born in Italy and then came over to the States at some point. Tell us a little bit about the, the origin story. Yes. You seem like you doubted that a little bit. Uh, yes. I was, born... <laughs> <laughs> I was born in Rome um, and I moved to the States when I was seven. And we lived in New York 
for a short time. And then we all moved to Los Angeles. Basically, we all followed my grandfather, right? The patriarch of the family, everybody picks up and goes with him. Um, In those days, also, Italy was going through uh, some difficult times with kids being uh, famous people being kidnapped. And there was a lot of stuff happening, right? That people don't maybe don't know about. So we all moved for that reason. And also looking for more opportunities, right? Even though my family made movies in Italy, America's where it's at. You don't make it till you make it in America. And so, yeah, we all moved together. Wow. Uh, in the great uh, Italian tradition, keep the family together, right? Always. Yeah. Always. Family comes first before everything and anything. And when you do something, you do it with all of them. <laughs> so we all came <laughs> like a bunch of little ducklings and it was great. It was, uh, you know, it was really tough at first. I will say I, I, it was rough. My family also didn't believe in assimilating the way a lot of families do. So all Italian all the time. They spoke Italian either, of course, at home, but even when they would come to the school or call us out, uh, Italian food for lunch, which you can imagine in those days was horrifying. And it's just, it was difficult to sort of acclimate and get into the American culture because my family, they made it kind of tough. So um, I thank them now, of course, but in the, at that time, it was, it was not fun. And I don't think that people were as open to different cultures, different foods, different names, difficult names to pronounce, blah, 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 blah. Right, right. I'm curious, you met, obviously, your grandfather is Dino De Laurentiis, famous producer. Your parents were both actors, if I'm not mistaken, like almost everybody in the family had some ties, like you said, to the movie business. Was that something that you ever thought you wanted to do to be a filmmaker or an actor? Uh, no. But <laughs> in my family, you can't say you don't want to do something or eat something or whatever, unless you try it. So I worked on a movie. I worked on two movies, actually. and did everything from catering to assisting to wardrobe to everything possible to see if I fit anywhere. And I did a little bit of acting of which I sucked and I was bad at everything and I hated it. So I really <laughs> love food though. And if you back this all up, my grandfather's family had a pasta factory in Naples before World War II. So his parents made pasta and sauces and he and his siblings would go door to door in Naples and in Tornunziata, which is where they lived. And they sold their, their parents' pastas and sauces. And that's how they made a living. And then you fast forward, the war happens. My grandfather enlists in World War II. He's stationed in Capri. And then, you know, Naples was devastated. Most businesses were closed. It was horrible. So he moved. He didn't go to college. He didn't even finish high school. He just packed up with 50 bucks from his dad and moved to Rome because he believed he could make movies. And he married my grandmother, who was Miss Rome, who was also becoming a big movie star. So together, they sort of built this empire. It's the the era of Fellini, of um, Sophia Loren, all of those huge actors that we know now. And then years later, after being successful, moved to the States to make more movies. He made over 600 movies in uh, 60 years. Wow. Very prolific. Wow. And now we'll get we'll get back to this, but you're sort of come full circle because you're now making pasta and sauce and uh, in that marketplace. We'll, 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 we'll get to that in a second. But tell us a little bit about how you got interested in food and cooking and, and actually making a whole career out of that. Well, food and cooking, 
I mean, it's a part, it was always a part of our, our lives. There was nothing that happened of any importance in our family if it wasn't around uh, a table, right? Or in the kitchen. And as busy as my grandfather was and my family was, we still, you know, Sundays were cherished and my grandfather loved making not homemade pasta, but homemade pizza. So we all made, um, he made, made us all doughs even from when I was the young, very young and I was the first grandchild. So we would all be together making pizzas together, uh, all the kids. And I think that for us, as many a time families, everything revolved around the table and food. So I was, I was one of the ones who really loved cooking. And to me, I was very shy. I grew up in a family that was very loud, male dominated and extremely loud. And I think I found my voice in the kitchen. I found that I had something, I guess that's when my family would like pay attention to me is when I was in the kitchen and cooking and doing things like that. And my grandfather and I had a close bond over making pizza and truly because he loved at our Sunday meals, he would make a plate of ricotta, fresh ricotta cheese, and then he would dust it with sugar and cocoa powder. And I was the only one of his children or grandchildren who loved it. And so I think that our bond was over that, go figure. Um, and anyways, I think that's where our bond came from. And just it just developed over time. And I think I just, I, I felt empowered and I felt strong and I felt like I had a voice through my food because I didn't really feel like I could talk about anything else. And that's where I was comfortable. So that's how I fell in love with it. And then my journey is, uh, <laughs> my journey started, I went to culinary school after college and in Paris, because I wanted to be a pastry chef. And then I came back and I worked for different chefs, including Wolfgang Puck um, at Spago in Los Angeles. And I got asked by a friend of mine before 9-11 to do some food styling, assisting in Los Angeles. So I did. And I met some people from Food and Wine Magazine. And after 9-11, I think this was like January, Food and Wine Magazine came to me and just said, you know, we're, we're putting together a group of chefs from different areas in the country to make their food, ethnic food from their hometowns, whatever. So I did that. I made my grandfather's pizza. I got my family together, my grandfather included. Blah, blah, blah. And that's where Food Network saw that article. And that's sort of how my whole career started. So... When you were sort of uh, asked by the Food Network to to come on board and, and maybe make your own show, you know, I've read some interviews you've done where you talked about the fact that you were a little uncomfortable, like cooking on camera. It was something you did not have experience with. What what was that like, kind of transitioning into that role? I did not have, I didn't like it because I was, I was shy. And you have to remember too that I, I don't know, there's, it, it's, it's very difficult, like, it's hard to understand now because I feel like we're all talking to our phones and we're taking pictures of ourselves and we're doing all these things that didn't exist 20 some years ago. And it felt awkward. Like mm -hmm. I didn't know who, who am I talking to? I'm just talking to a camera and I can't look off and look and direct my attention to you per se, because I got to look into this black hole. Well, what am I doing? And if you're a shy, introverted person, how do you, how does that even feel warm? And so a lot of times I would do my demos a little bit like this. So if you're the camera, my shoulder, and they kept saying, open up, what are you doing? We don't want to see your shoulder. We want to see your face. And I think that for me, it was trying to figure out like, who is this person? And have I created an image 
of somebody that doesn't really exist. And sometimes, honestly, I still think that to myself. <laughs> I'm that same person that I, I rem- who are you? Because you're definitely not this. I definitely came out of my shell and almost became a different person in a way. It's like therapy. I, I don't know. It's, it's very strange. My own family's like, we don't, you're not the same person. Like my sister's like, you're not the same person I grew up with. It's like, it's like you're a totally different human being. I said, yeah, I think that, I don't know. It's like, it's a very strange process, uh, television mm. or even being in front of the camera. And actors say it all the time that they embody another spirit almost when they're doing it, right? So you lose yourself a little bit. And yeah, I think I transformed myself in a way, not knowing, not unwillingly. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And how did you take to becoming like a public figure and somebody that somebody might see on the street and go, hey, like like I did up in the Palisades, like, oh, that's Giada. <laughs> like, how, did, how, does, how does that how does that impact your life? Doug, I don't think you ever get comfortable with that. I don't think that's <laughs> ever anything that anybody ever gets comfortable with. I think that for the most part, everybody that recognizes me just wants to either tell me that something that I that I taught them how to make on a sh- on a cooking show 
transformed their life somehow or brought their family together or made them look like a hero for some, you know, in, in some way. And so that's all very positive. I would just say that there are moments in my life, like in the restroom, in a public restroom or things like that, that it becomes very awkward. Um, and <laughs> I think kn- knowing that somebody wants a picture from you 24 seven is a little bit weird also. And it does definitely makes you a little more self-conscious. Like, am I going to go out in the pu- in public with just sweats and a sweatshirt? And am I going to look like, is my hair, like, do I have to make sure my hair looks? It's a whole conversation you have with yourself all the time. In fact, my daughter has it with me now because she's 14. And she's like, I think I'd put some lipstick on mom. You never know. You never know who's going to ask for a photo. You better put some lipstick on. And I promise you that that voice is in my head all the time. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't, uh, I don't suffer from that. Uh, <laughs> well, with social media, you just never know anymore, right? In the old days, it didn't matter, but now everybody can click and post in no time. No. Yeah. I always say in the, in the old days, you, you used to just see celebrities and famous people on award shows. And now, you know, we're seeing them 24 seven all day long. We know where they went to get coffee. They know where they get the car fixed, what beach they went to, where they're shopping. We, know, we can see what they look like on their best day and their worst day. And then we can see them side by side. I mean, it's just. Yeah, it's a, it, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. So you have done several different shows and continue to do on the Food Network in several different formats. But one of the things that struck me, I don't know if you noticed the same thing, Jen, as I was looking, you know, at uh, everything you you have done and do is one of the big things for you is traveling. You do you do a lot of these shows on the road, both locally and all over the world. Is is that conscious? Is that intentional? Is that something the Food Network wants you to do? Or do you love being on the road and checking everything out? I used to be, I used to love to be on the road. Yes. I, I, you know, what? I always, I felt like it was inspirational to be on the road. It was, it just got my juices flowing. The more I could be on the road, the more I could talk to people about food and the stuff that they like, the stuff that they don't like. It made me better as a cook. It made me better as a storyteller. Cause at the end of the day, that's what I am. And as a teacher, because those are pretty much what I do for a living. And I thought that made it made it better for me and just got my creative juices going. But I will say that after after the pandemic, I don't like it so much anymore. I'm also, you get older and you get more tired and you just can't. And I think that having a, a, a daughter who is close to driving and close to going to college in four years, I felt like, whoa. I think I need to not be on the road so much. I think that I need to be at home and I need to chart to figure out my life in a way that I can work and not always get on a plane and go somewhere. But that was really, really hard. It's really hard. I felt like I didn't know what to do with myself if I wasn't like going somewhere or doing something. So sometimes I think it's a little bit of a distraction and other times I feel like it's what grounds me. So I've definitely switched since the pandemic, like many people. I, I really pick choose where I go and I don't do so many travel shows anymore. So now I do it differently. You know, I go once, twice a year, I pick all my favorite things and I bring them back. So I think it's about pivoting and figuring out a way to do what you love to do, but make it a little bit easier. So you're just talking about like travel shows. Obviously you've done, you know, traditional cooking shows where you're the one doing the cooking. You've, you've done uh, competition shows of all those different kinds of cooking show formats. Do you have a favorite I think the way I started, I like just straight cooking, straight Mm -hmm. to camera cooking show, like the basic of all basics, like everyday Italian. And I also like the entertaining 
ones as well, where, but it's still all cooking. Um, and I think to me, that's probably, that's the reason I do what I do. I, that's sort of the teaching part, the storytelling part, the sharing of my culture part. So to me, that's, that's my favorite. But of course, the competition shows are sort of uh, very, very popular. So I've done my share of those as well. I don't mm. enjoy those as much. I don't like criticizing people. I don't like mm. to make them feel less than. I don't want to crush their dreams. I don't like any of that. I, I know that people are like, well, but you're encouraging them and you're mentoring them. But am I? <laughs> because we're always looking for, I mean, we're always looking for disasters. We're always looking to pick on them, like destroy their, like, their whole mental state. And I, I, I just don't want to participate. I just don't. I don't. So, so that's, that's uncomfortable. I, that's uncomfortable for you. I think it's uncomfortable for most people. Right. Mm-hmm. We do what we have to do, but nobody likes to do that. Nobody. I can't imagine that they do. When you've been working on a show like that, have you ever, you know, have you ever been directed to like be a little bit more critical than you were inclined to be? Comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this is what always happens to many of us is, oh, sure. Go ahead and say whatever you need to say. You do that. And then could you, could you do it again? Just like this. And then, you know, but that's fine. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely use the other way. No, it's all in editing and they do whatever they want. And then, you know, the camera's on you 24 seven and I'm a very expressive person. So gosh forbid, I make a face like, or something. That's what they'll use (laughs) all the time. And so I started to just sort of be stoic and never have expression. And they'd say to me, well, Jada, do you want to say something? Do they? And I'm like, "Mm -mm, uh uh-uh, no. And I just feel like it, it changes who you are in a way. And I think, uh, I've always, you know, after doing food network star, which, you know, was had, it had its high, high times as well. And we did help people. I mean, Guy Fieri, where would he be today if he didn't do food network star? So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, we, it's, it's a great thing too, but I think overall it just, I was never comfortable. It's not my comfort zone. It's not what I enjoy doing. So wait, Mm -hmm. you're responsible. You're responsible for Guy. No, Bobby is. <laughs> um, and what about you? Did you have a, you know, you talked about mentoring people on these shows. Did you have like a m- mentor in the kitchen growing up or somebody, you know, who was, you were like working for or working with or that you just knew who was kind of getting you from point A to point B? Well, for me, my aunt was my number one mentor. She really helped me in the beginning days of everyday Italian get a lot of family recipes together and get them out of different family members in Italy and and really thinking about them. And so she was really instrumental in helping me there. My grandfather, too, I would say, at least in the beginning, beginning after I got on TV, it was a little different. But before that, very much a part of why I loved cooking so much. And, you know, I think my mom, in a way, my mom, not a great cook doesn't like to cook, but uh, had four kids and so needed to learn how to make something. And I think that the way that she was able to sort of feed four kids and just keep it going inspired me to understand that I also had to find a way to make it easy for people, you know, and easy to understand, easily digestible uh, in a way that sometimes when you go to cooking school, you get a little too fancy and you work in, you know, at uh, in restaurants, like I worked for Wolfgang and I worked for Sherry Yard, who were great, but everything was a little fancy. And I would go home, my mom would be like, what is that? Like, I'm not making that. I don't even know how to make that. So I think 
it's a it's a sort of a I'm a creation of three different people who saw food differently. Hmm. How often do you cook yourself? Just like not for not for work, just for yourself, or even like entertain? And and did it? Did your feelings around that change once you started working on the Food Network, where it felt like, oh, I have to, I'm having a dinner party. Wow, this is like work. I cook multiple meals a day regularly. I love being at home without a camera and cooking. But these days, I do a lot of it on social media, which I actually find a lot more fun. And a lot more relaxed and not so uptight and not so edited. And I can have more fun. I think that when I started becoming successful on Food Network, I felt more pressure. Like, I can't just have a simple dinner party. I now have to, like, have multiple courses. And I have to, like, really elevate the food because people are coming over to my house. And they're like, oh, my gosh, she's a chef. So we should have Chateau Lyon every night. And we should have, like, so I started, yes, I definitely felt a lot of pressure from my family, friends that I put on myself, really, because people just love going to someone's house and having somebody else treat them to a meal. I don't think a lot of people care what the hell it is. I think it's just Mm -hmm. they just love to be loved like that, because I think it's the ultimate expression of, of friendship and love is to be like, hey, Jen, come on over. I'll make you a meal. I don't know that you're going to be like, well, what is it going to be? Because I'm not coming. So I think I think that I put that pressure on myself. And for a while, it had me not entertained because I didn't want to deal with the pressure. But I think now I've I've moved past it, I think. And I love doing it. And now I, I try to tell other, you know, like we just had, I just had a pay and I was my cousins, my family last night here. And I was like, you guys make the pay. Yeah? You're Spanish. You're half Spanish. You know how to make it better than me. And I will make everything else. And so I just sort of try to turn it into more of a potluck thing. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, everybody feels better about it too, because I think, family and friends feel a little intimidated coming over as well. So mm-hmm. I think it takes a little bit of that intimidation out. Yeah. Delegating is always good. So you mentioned social media platform. What what social media platforms are you most active on? Instagram and TikTok. I mean, I do Facebook and Twitter, but let's mostly Instagram and TikTok. Those right. Are faves. Those are the, and those are, the, those are the, the two that seem most relevant these days. But you talked about that being a little more fun for you. Or, or, so are you sort of doing that on your own or are you just with a minimal minimal help around you and just like a more direct thing with the audience? Tell us, tell us a little bit about why that, that makes it something interesting for you. Well, I think I do, I do it with um, one other girl. She works for me and works with me. We shoot them together. And it started over the pandemic. So during the pandemic, I had to shoot a show for Food Network, but yet couldn't have my normal crew couldn't be on a stage. So I did it from my kitchen. My boyfriend shot it. Jade helped me. My daughter helped me do my, um, do the dishes. And I had this young girl who works with me as well. And she did all the lighting (laughs) and she, and she helped shoot the second camera and we did it. The four of us, including, well, when Jade felt, well, my daughter felt like it, she was there and then she didn't, she wasn't, but, and I cooked all the food myself. I shocked all the stuff. I prepped it all myself. And it kind of reminded me like, ah, this is what I used to do. Why do I have like 50 crew for a cooking show? Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was more comfortable. It was more easygoing. It felt more intimate. And I've been doing it like that ever since. And mm-hmm. I think that I really like it a lot more. I mean, you know, Food Network and all of those places went back to traditional shooting. But on social media, I felt like I could do that. And I felt that really my audience and my my fans were into 
seeing more of real life. I think people are really, we've gone past us. We've gone past that glossy, perfectly edited sort of life. And we really want raw. We want raw. We want organic. We want real in everything, not just cooking and in every facet of our lives. That is what we're truly uh, connecting on. And I think that that's what social media helps us do, even though it's little short increments. I think it really helps bring people to life in a different way. And I think that's what social media does for me. Different than what I did on my shows. You also get immediate response from your audience and, and direct response. That's right. And that's the other facet of it that, you know, we shoot a show. By the time it's aired and by the time it's edited and aired, six, six months goes by. Mm-hmm. So, wow. And they have to be evergreen and you can't talk about it. You know, it's all of this stuff. There's a lot of rules. With social media, it's just post it and start seeing who likes it. I mean, who wouldn't like that? That's why we're all so addicted to it, I think. Right. I mean, that was one of the the few blessings of the pandemic to me was, you know, a lot of people had to pivot uh, in the same way that you were describing. Like, as you know, like all the late night hosts couldn't go into the studio. And so they ended up doing their shows from their homes. And there was something sort of DIY and like you said, more personal about that experience that I I, I thought was kind of great. It maybe wasn't sustainable for, for broadcast television. But speaking of broadcast television, I'm wondering, you know, a lot of your shows are on streaming just because that's how the world works. But do you foresee a future where you might just be doing stuff for a streaming network and not for broadcast? Or do you still feel really strongly that the broadcast part of what you do is important? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's important mm-hmm. to sort of still have your foot in in all of the different places, only because, you know, I think although many of us now through the pandemic have really moved over to broad, uh, to um, streaming, I think a lot of the my older sort of demographic that really loves what I do is still a little bit more in broadcast. And then I think that to get the younger crowd, you need to do the streaming and the social. Because right. a lot of young kids, like I have two little aunts, as my grandfather got remarried later in life. They don't have cable. They don't watch anything. They just, everything's on their computer. And they look at social media and then they might have a couple of apps, Netflix, maybe Amazon, but not many. And Mm -hmm. I think that's how they get all their information. And so I feel like if you want to have a brand that sort of transcends time, all of those platforms are super important for different reasons in different ways. Tell us a little bit about, you know, you beyond the TV shows and uh, your cookbooks and your restaurants, you also now have a line of food and products and utensils called, I want to get this right, Giadzi? <laughs> so no? Giadzi was, yes, yes, I got, yes, okay. yes. <laughs> Help me out here. But it's just the way that you pronounce it, like you're, <laughs> yes, it's called Giadzi. It's called Giadzi. Giadzi yeah. was my, um, I don't know, it's difficult for people to say, not any more difficult than my own name has been for forever, uh, but it was my nickname growing up. So anyway, oh. yes, it's Giadzi. And I, it's a digital marketplace, really, um, where I curate and bring in um, artisanal Italian products and from Italy, all from Italy, and also tell stories behind the producers of them, the regions they come from, and offer multiple recipes on how to use these ingredients. So I feel like we sort of give a a whole 360 sort of, of of the Italian lifestyle and not just give you a bunch of products that you can buy, but you can also know where they come from, who's making them and what to do with them. 
And I think that's the important part. And we just do a lot of curated gifting boxes. And, you know, eventually I'd like to do every all things. I'd like to be the place everybody comes to for all things Italian. So little by little, you know, building blocks. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. But yeah, so it's it's my new little, it's my new endeavor, basically. And I spend much of my time doing that. I was going to say that's and that uses, uh, I would assume, a very different part of your brain and your energy. So how do you, how do you like being a you know sort of a business person versus TV personality and <laughs> yeah, well it's more of a like the entrepreneur uh, sort of road. I've just raised some capital, and so understanding that world is not. I should have gone to business school because it is just shoo, it's taking me a lot to sort of absorb. But I feel like I'm firing part of my brain that I never knew I even had or was able to use. And that to me feels good, especially as you get older. I feel like you get stuck in a rut and you do the same thing and you're an autopilot. And so this is like opening up a whole new world to me. Plus the digital, the digital platform and how, you know, how to track, you know, who buys what and the KPIs and all of these things that never existed to me before have really opened my eyes to the business and the world that we're in and how people consume and how, um, what it takes to get their attention and hold their attention, blah, blah, blah. So it's really fascinating and I've learned a lot and I just love it. It it energizes me, keeps me young, I think. That's great. So I'm curious, uh, if you could eat only one food for the rest of your life, and, and again, we're putting aside like nutrition, health, all that stuff. But there was one food that you could eat like every day. What food would you never get tired of? Is this an ingredient you're asking for or a dish? Or like a dish. Yeah. Sorry. A seven layer chocolate cake. Oh, wow. Extra fudgy. Every day, man. Every day. If I could, I would. That's all I really like. (laughs) I really, (laughs) I dream about it. I, it's a texture. It's a flavor. It's. I just love, love chocolate. I love butter with chocolate. I love the layers of the spongy cake, the the cake part with the buttery, fluffy buttercream. I don't know. Who makes your favorite uh, chocolate cake? What's what's the one you actually dream about? Well, I make, I, she does. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I do, but I also love one from um, Sweet Lady Jane's. Good cakes there. They're very serious about their cakes there. They're very serious. Yeah. And they're very dense. Um, Unfortunately, my stomach doesn't like it as much as my my brain does. But um, to me, that is the that is the ultimate. I would go pasta every day. That would be number one on my list. So you're more sweet than salty in terms of. Yeah. Okay. Always. I have always I have a sugar issue for sure. Yeah. I would eat I would eat pasta every day if I could. Honestly, I I know it would be my last meal. Really? But but like what pasta? Like there's so many pastas. You have to be specific about these things. Well, that's the beautiful thing. You know, you could be you could eat a different one every day and with a different sauce. And they're they're all great to be. Yeah, but I don't like them all. But that's fair. I, I go bolognese first. And, first and foremost. Uh-huh. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, what is uh-huh. your other than your own? What is your favorite Italian restaurant? Um, My favorite Italian restaurant is probably Ebaldi in Beverly Hills. Very good. What do you like about it? The simplicity of it. I it's it's clean and it's light and it's consistently delicious. They have these corn ravioli, which they also have at yeah, at Giorgio Baldi's <laughs> as well. It's consistent. 
delicious and light. You like that better than Giorgio's, which is down in Santa Monica, sister restaurant. I like it better. Yeah. You like it better. I you do. like the light and the you like the you like the setting better. Yes, and I and I like it because it's a little bit less bougie. Yes, I I, I would agree with that. I'd agree with that. Those yeah. are two of the finest Italian restaurants for our viewers in the Los Angeles area, by the way. So if you're ever visiting, you should, <laughs> you should be sure be sure to check check them out. Um, is there anything you can't cook? Like, is there a type of food or something you just can't you haven't been able to knock or get right or just always frustrates you? Yes. Well, I definitely I took a sushi class a long time ago in an effort to be a better sushi, sushi chef. And I've never been able to make it as fabulous as it should be. So I would say Japanese food. I would also say Indian food. I actually really mm. like, I've really taken a liking to Indian food. I started like sort of checking it out and making it more during the pandemic as we all tried new things then. Right. Because we had the actual time. A lot of the dishes like uh, the chicken biryani, it's either too dry. I haven't quite like mastered it just yet. So I would say those two cuisines, I don't feel like I, I, it's not worthy of a dinner party yet. Ah. Mm. All right. See, I would eat, that's something I would eat every day is palak paneer every day. Oh, really? Okay. So delicious. Yes. Yeah. I, again, not good for me. I, I should not be eating that much cheese, but I love it. It's very good. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. All right. So we ask, we ask all our guests the same opening question and the same closing question, which okay. is outside of your own show. Do you have a favorite all-time cable television show? I guess Barefoot Condessa. Oh, there yeah. you go. I All really, right. yeah, I love Ina and I love her show. I really, I don't know. When I'm when I'm not feeling great, that's the kind of thing I want to be watching. There you go. She's been doing it for a long time, right? As long as I have. Yeah. We started about a month apart. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Rachel started right before us, like right. six months maybe before us. And she and I started within months, a month from each other. So, yeah. Wow. Well, that's amazing. You've been doing it a long time. We wish you great luck uh, continuing to do all your great things, including Jadzi, uh, <laughs> which, which, which everybody should check out. But uh, Giada, thank you so much for being on Basic today. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm going to go eat something now. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> So there you go, Giada De Laurentiis. Um, you know what? Uh, very, very delightful. First of all, and uh, I don't know, Jen. Do you do you watch a lot of cooking shows? Is that something you? Uh... I do. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, marinating for lack of a better word in cooking shows, <laughs> but uh, but I do like certain cooking shows. And I, it's funny that she was talking about competition shows and and how uncomfortable she could be in that setting, which I totally understand. But those are what I tend to watch more than anything else. Like. Uh, you know, obviously the Great British Bake Off, which has gone very downhill this season. Um, and I'm a fan of of Nailed It because all of those people come into it knowing they don't know what they're doing. Right. So the idea that you're going to criticize them too much, I feel like they handle the balance of that just right. And also it's just very funny. But yeah, I think there's something really soothing, um, as Giada was saying about Ina Garten show, like about watching a cooking show. If you're like not feeling well and you just cuddle up in bed and put on somebody making a nice meal. It's just very, it's very comforting. Yeah. You know, I watch with my wife a little bit who, who, um, likes them a bit. And I, 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 I feel the same way you do. I, I, I like them more than I thought I would. I don't cook at all. She cooks 
I'm, a, I'm an eater and a cleaner, as I like to say. But um, th there is something very soothing and it just kind of washes over you and they know what they're doing. And, you know, when, when they're a great personality like Giada is, you know, it's they're easy to watch. But unlike the competition shows, somehow you always know on the cooking shows things are going to go well because they know what they're doing. Right. Whereas those competition shows make me like a little anxious. Because oh, yeah. you know something's going to go wrong. You're feeling so nervous for the contestant. And then there might be a judge who can be kind of, there might be, not not her clearly, but uh, we have seen judges on some of these shows, you know, who can uh, who can be tough. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and I know people like to watch that, but it's, sometimes it's hard to watch. Yeah, like there's, uh, you know, they do a lot of holiday cooking shows around around the holidays, obviously. And like, invariably somebody makes some cake with like multiple tears and you're like, that's going to fall over. Right. Uh, but, uh, but that's why, that's why nailed it is like less stressful for me because I know they're going to screw it up. Like that's the whole point. So I'm not right. worried about it. <laughs> and it's amazing. This whole generation, she sort of came up, as she mentioned at the end of the interview, you know, with Rachel Ray and all these people who have, you know, they've all gone on to these, they've all become quote celebrity chefs with their own restaurants and lines. And it's, you know, I mean, when you look back at the Food Network and the stars they launched, the celebrity chefs or the chefs they launched, pretty impressive, actually. I mean, kind of in their, in their own way up there with like a Comedy Central or, you know, in terms of their ability to identify and build, you know, talent into, you know, real, real things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think that has, you know, what they built on the Food Network, is, as Jada was saying, has like really extended outward where... I know I easily get mesmerized by just cooking videos that pop up in my social media feeds. I'll be doing something and all of a sudden it's like, oh, here's how you make this. And they're stirring something. I'm like, oh, I need to pause and watch this. Uh, again, it goes back to that soothing thing that I was talking about before. But like I cook, but not a lot. My husband does most of the cooking. So the idea that I can actually, you know, watch something on YouTube or watch a show where I can see what they're doing is so much more helpful than just reading a recipe right. where they use terms I don't understand. Uh, if I can actually see what somebody's doing, it just makes a huge difference. Every Thanksgiving, I put the iPad on the counter. Uh, my dad, who's no longer with us, was the guy who cut the turkey. Uh, I've inherited that. I'm awful. And every Thanksgiving, <laughs> I put the iPad on the, up on the kitchen counter and I go to one of those YouTube videos like how to cut the turkey. And, you know, you just you just play along. But, you know, sort of speaking of like YouTube and, you know, she spoke about um, TikTok and Instagram. It's really incredible, the explosion of food and cooking and recipes on social media, as you just mentioned. And even to the point where, you know, sometimes it's there's they're not even really hosted. It's just like you see a pair of hands yeah. and they do the, and, and they do the whole thing in like a minute and a half. You go, oh, my God, that looks delicious. I should try that. Uh and then I try it and it doesn't turn out as well as theirs. <laughs> do, do you actually try those things? No, not really. But I mean, sometimes I have and I, I just, I'm not great at cooking. Let me just be honest. I'm not, it's not my, it's not my strong suit. I, I have my moments, but it's not my strong suit. You have, you have your, you have your other talents, Jen. Um, sure. <laughs> no, but I think Jada is, is very smart in what she said that it, it is important to have a foot in all these different ways of, of presenting that, whether it's, you know, she has broadcast, she has social, like she, she's kind of running the gamut. It, it puts a lot of pressure on a personality to, to try to like be present in all these different spaces. But I do think that's kind of the smart way to, to go, to keep yourself relevant and keep yourself active. Yeah. They, they, I think they call that a 360 and she is doing it all and doing everything. Plus, you know, as she said, and she's got to get dressed up every time she leaves the house because, you know, oh somebody, somebody might see it seems like so much pressure to me. But It's uh, called being a woman. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, on that note, we will uh, thank you for joining us, uh, and uh, we hope uh, you'll be back next time on BASIC. BASIC is a Pantheon Media production in partnership with Sirius XM. Hosted by Jen Chaney and Doug Herzog. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer. Sound design and music by Jerry Danielson. Mixed and mastered by Brian Slusher. Recorded and edited by Zach Spisner. You can find BASIC on Apple Podcasts, the SiriusXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us. Don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.